written 2,000 years ago and more, it is still appropriate and applicable for us today. And I pray this morning, Lord, you would speak to us from your word. Holy Spirit, make it real, make it um, plain, make it clear, make it simple, and help us, Father, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Last year, we started a series in the book of John, and we're going to be going through that over the next few months and possibly years. John is a very dense, intense, fantastic book, and uh, in between going through the book of John, we'll have other short lefts, short rights with other things, but uh, we're going to be sticking in John for the most of this year, I'm pretty sure. John chapter 1 and verse 19, the title for the message this morning is four ways that we can live a radical life in 2023, four ways that we can live radically this year, John 1 and verse 19. Now, this was the testimony when the Jewish, sorry, this was John's testimony, John the baptizer, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. I mean, they knew his name was John, but they didn't know who he really was. Who are you really, John? He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Our first point this morning is to notice John's humility. Notice his humility. He doesn't want any credit for himself. He doesn't want any fancy titles. All he wants to do is exalt Jesus. That's his only aim. In fact, he says, you know what? Don't worry about me. I'm nothing. I'm, I'm just like a voice traveling in the desert. That's all I am. But among you stands one who is worthy of great titles, who is worthy of great honor, who is worthy of great worship. I, he's so worthy, I can't even untie his sandals. That's what John's saying. Don't worry about me. I'm nothing. I'm just like a voice in the wilderness. Don't give me any credit. And if you look at all the great saints over history, all of them were different. They were unique. They had different ministries. Their, their styles were all varied. But for most of them, you'll see a common thread of humility running under all that they did. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, as long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Humility, as Rick Warren said, is not thinking less of yourself, but of thinking of yourself less. 
And it's so important for our faith. Do you know why? Because Peter writes, God opposes the proud. He doesn't just ignore you. He doesn't just leave you to do whatever you want or turn a blind eye. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we're not humble, then we're not teachable. We can't learn. We can't grow in our faith. If we're not teachable, then, then our life group leader or our spouse or our, our boss or a friend or, or, or an elder or your child even, they can't come and bring some kind of adjustment. They can't come even point out a blind spot in your faith that is causing you to stumble or to hinder you in growing. Because that's how we grow. God or people or through people point out stuff that's not quite right. That might be a ceiling hindering us from going further in God. And if we're too proud, how do we respond? If we're arrogant, if we think we know it all, well, we get offended when someone points out something that we think they shouldn't point out. We think we know it all. Who are they to tell me how I should live? Yeah? So we get offended and we don't grow in our faith if we're not teachable. As a church, friends, we mustn't become arrogant. Here we are in this nice, fancy new building. It's not quite finished yet, I know. There's some way to go. But there's so much more space. We can put more chairs out, and the mother's room is better, and a kid's facility. If you haven't been there yet, go have a look around. It's like more than double the size we had before. Nice couches outside. Even the sound guys have a whole desk, booth. What do you call that thing? Like booth. You need like doors that's so big, you know, and like a map to get there. We can become proud of what we've achieved. There's, there's a good pride, but also we can become the wrong kind of proud and think, oh, the church is about the people being comfortable. So much nicer parking as well, hey? Oh, the front chairs are much more comfy than the back chairs. But friends, the church is not about the comfort of people. We should be a people about Jesus. That's our aim, to be about Him and to exalt Him as John the Baptizer did. This building, as nice as it is and as nice as it's going to become, is just another tool that God wants to use to advance His kingdom. And we get to enjoy it. Amen? Let's enjoy it. Let's not feel bad. Let's enjoy it, but let's understand it is one of the ways God is going to use to see people come to faith. So why is humility so radical in our day? Well, it's so contrary to what the world teaches, our culture. It's very different to the self-promoting, egotistical, self-absorbed I generation that's all about me and my comfort and my pleasure and my enjoyment and what can I get out of it. It's so radically different to what the world teaches. Humility is about thinking of others more than we think about ourselves. It's about serving others. Jesus said, if you want to be great in this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, then you're going to be the servant of all. That's if you want to be great. And so many people in the world and in the church, sadly and wrongly, they vie for titles. They want to be promoted up the ladder. They want position. They want influence. They want power. But actually, that's not what Jesus taught. He taught about humility. He modeled it. He humbled himself. God became man. That's humility. And then he died on a cross, a death that he shouldn't have died because he was perfect and sinless. And you know what? 
greatness in God's kingdom can be achieved by anyone. Not by the preacher or the worship leader or whoever, the person with the gift of healing. Anyone can serve. The lowliest saint with the least abilities and the poorest circumstances will probably have a seat at the right hand of God in the wedding feast of the Lamb. Those who, are, who serve are counted greatest. Friends, all of us can achieve greatness in God's kingdom by being humble and serving others. Second point we can learn from John and how we can live a radical life this year is we need to know who God's made us to be. Really important to know who you are and to know who you're not. And John was very aware. He knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Don't mistake me. I know the resemblance is there. <laughs> Same eyes, maybe. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. He knew who he wasn't, but he also knew who God made him to be, and he was content with that. He didn't try and be someone else. He didn't want to be Herod, didn't want to be Pontius Pilate, didn't want to be the high priest Caiaphas. He knew who God had made him to be, and he was content with that. So let me ask all of us this morning, do you know who God's made you to be? Do you? Do you know who you are not to be? <laughs> or are you striving to copy and imitate and be like that person or be like this person because you're not secure in who God's made you? Someone said, be yourself. Everybody else is taken <laughs> already. I know who I am. I know who I'm not. I'm never going to lead worship. 15 years ago, I really wanted to, but then I realized how bad I sang. <laughs> and other people also realized how bad I sang. And they told me. And it was a good but painful growing moment in my life. <laughs> but I know I'm not going to lead worship uh, on a stage with a microphone. I know I'm not going to win the Nobel, Nobel Prize for the research I do the company I work for. Can someone find me some tape? This thing is falling off. I'm sorry. There's none in that bag. I think it's disappeared in the move. Um, I get distracted very easily, so that's why I'm asking for the tape. I also know that I'm not going to break the Guinness World Record for the most number of hot dogs eaten in a minute. Like, I just know that's not going to happen because I know what I am and what I'm capable of and what I can and I can't do. I'm not going to be promoted up the corporate ladder any further. I'm not going to take my boss's job. I don't have the brains or the business acumen for it. I just don't. And I'm totally okay with that. Totally and utterly okay with that. Maybe I should just swap microphones. Is that a better idea? That's a better idea. I know I'm not going to be a Mark Wimble or an Ed Strong. And I'm okay with that. Very okay with who God's made me. And being yourself is radical because we always want to be someone else. We're always comparing. We fall into this trap of comparison. And as we look at other people and their abilities and their giftings and how much further down the road they are in that particular aspect or hobby or profession or whatever it is, we suddenly start to think, well, I'm not good enough. 
or even worse, I'm not enough. And there's a sense that that's true, but the Bible says that God has qualified us. And you plus God is enough for whatever God has for you and who he's made you to be. We know we're not perfect. We are enough in God. There's there's stuff to work on. Humility, we need to grow in our obedience. We need to um, have those rough edges taken off. (laughs) Sanctification is the technical. We need to grow in our faith. We know we're not the finished product, but let's not start off this year trying to be like somebody else. When God has made you to be unique and good at whatever he's called you to do. And in that uniqueness, uniqueness, we each need to allow God's grace, God's love, God's power to flow through us out to other people in the unique ways that he's made you and I. Because that's how his kingdom comes, through every one of us allowing his grace and presence to flow through us in different ways. Because we're all different, we're all unique. And this church is unique. We mustn't try and be like another church. Some of you, this is the first church you've ever been in. You got born again here, you got saved here, you got baptized here, etc. But many others, you're coming here from another church possibly. You might have been here for years, but at some point you came from another church. We're not that church. Don't complain, oh, I wish this church had that ministry. As a church, we don't start ministries because we don't have a ministry. Oh, every church should have an have a X and Y ministry. No, we we're unique. As God leads us, that's how we reach out. We're not going to try and be another church because that's not who God's called us to be. Maybe we'll have X, Y ministry in the future. All churches have the same mission. We are to love God, worship Him, adore Him, and make disciples of all nations. That doesn't change. If you've been to a church that that's not their mission, uh, leave it quickly because that's not a church about Jesus. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God, as He's building His church, He's adding all these living stones in. If you look at the walls to your left and right, you can see bricks. They're all the same kind of shape, roughly. They're rough bricks. They're roughly the same shape. But, but stones are all different. They're all different sizes and different shapes. Some are smooth, some are rough, some are big, some are small, different colors, etc. And the shape of the church that God is building here is determined by the stones He puts in. Right? Each stone is different. He fits them together perfectly. But the shape of the building and what it looks like depends on the stones he uses. You know what? You and I are those living stones. You and I are unique. We're shaped differently. Our our background is different. Our life experience is different. Our gifting is different. Your personality is different to mine. We're all different, unique, but we're all living stones that God is building together. And so the ministry, the, the shape of this spiritual house depends on the stones that God is building with. And if I look around today, there's going to be some very interesting ministries that come out of As I look at all of you very interesting shaped stones. Amen? 
as you came through the gate from the road, if you happened to look all the way down to the bottom of the kind of driveway here, right at the bottom you would have seen a pile of bricks, all the leftover bricks that didn't get used in here. Do you think they're having a fun time down there, out in the cold, all lonely? Do you think the bricks over here are having a much better time? I mean, they get to look at your amazing faces. A brick is no good if it's sitting on a pile on the side of the construction site. God adds people to a church because we're all living stones. And if, friends, can I say this with as much grace as I can, if you come to this church and you put yourself on the side in a heap, as God's building the living stones into this church, there are going to be gaps that you should be filling but you're on the side. This church is going to be weaker. There are going to be holes, so to speak, in the ministry because God is building his church. And if he's brought you here and he's added you to this church, then he needs your giftings. We all need your giftings to be part of this spiritual house. Amen? I would love, it's my dream, for every single person in this church to be gathering like we are on a Sunday, worshiping God together. There's something special when we join our faith together, amen? I'd love us all to be part of a life group and connected in and, and making genuine friendships as we fellowship and get to know each other. God's design is through community. I'd love us all to be part of one of the serving or ministry teams that we can express our God-given gifting in this church. Some of them will be expressed outside the church, and that's awesome. I'd love us all to be sharing our faith and going wherever God's called us to go. Ten years ago, when we, 11 years ago, when we arrived in Joburg from KZN, we got stuck in at a church that we were part of, and um, we got to know some of the people in the church, and we obviously invited them to our home, and we had dinner with them, and we got to know them. And um, being going from Kaizen to Joburg is quite a big change. You know, Gauteng is the big city. It's the rat race, what they call a gangster's paradise. People had warned us about coming to Joburg, and so we were, we were just from the countryside in KZN. So we would invite people over, and uh, maybe we'd have a bra, right? So in KZN, we... You know, how we make fire is we rub two sticks together. <laughs> like Bear Grylls, survival, you know? KZN, it's tough down there. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, our friends were gracious. They didn't say, hey, you know, people have invented matches, you know? But, but at the end of the first year we were here, someone generously blessed us with a gas bra. You just turn a knob and it starts. It was amazing. It was like a revolution for us. But the gas bra came in a box, flat pack. You had to assemble it. There's like 400 parts. You have to have like a screwdriver and like a five-page instruction manual. And Candice and I been married for about three years at that point. So we're still new in our marriage. But she's smart. She figured out that Glendon's DIY skills are like very average. So she says to me, hey, babes, I'm going to put the bra together. Awesome, I say. This is great. So when your wife wants to do the cooking, she takes the bra. It's amazing. I'm joking. <laughs> Two hours later, hey, babes, I've got some leftover parts, but I'm finished. 
I'm immediately worried, like, because you shouldn't have leftover pieces when you're constructing something. Now, the people who had made the bra on purpose knew that people like me would be building it. They gave us extra parts anyway. But most of the time, if you're constructing something and you've got leftover pieces, it's a problem because <laughs> it doesn't work properly. It's not going to function properly. The same for the church, friends. If you are a leftover piece while God's constructing, this body is going to be weaker. So I ask you for this year, radically get involved with what God is doing. Number three, very important if we want to live a radical life to know what God says about us. So know who we are, but we also need to know, number three, what God says about us. And when John the baptizer, when they kept asking him, who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Are you this person? No. Well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who've sent us. When he's pressed for an answer about who he is, you know what he says? Let me tell you what God says about me. I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the path for the Lord. He doesn't answer with what man says about him, what he thinks about himself. He says, let me tell you what God says about me. How did he know that? Well, remember his dad, 30-something years before, Zachariah and Elizabeth, the Christmas story. We know it well. Childless, angel appears. You're going to have a baby. He's like, I'm too old to have a baby. Angel's like, you doubted you're not going to speak for nine months. So Zachariah was chup still for nine months. Elizabeth finally had a chance to talk, and their marriage went a whole lot better. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> when John is born, they say, what are you going to name him? And he writes, his name is John. Suddenly he can speak again, and he prophesies, this boy is going to be the one who goes before the Lord, Isaiah the prophet. So John grew up knewing the voice of God over his life and what God had called him to be. And John thought it was more important to know what God said about him than what man said about him. We need to hear the voice of God. And there are lots of things that God says about us, his people, his bride, his sheep. Many general promises, go and read the Bible. It's filled with them. It's great reading if you haven't read the Bible. All kinds of promises like, never will I leave you. As Deirdre mentioned, he loves us unconditionally. Nothing can separate us from his love. We're his royal priesthood. We're the children of God. He delights in us. Those are all the general things, and they can encourage us, and we should hold on to them. But we also need to hear specifically and personally what God is saying to us. Some of you might, like John the baptizer, have a word from God from years ago that you hold on to. Awesome. Keep holding on to it. Others might hear God every day with his gentle whispers, his encouraging voice, his affirmation. Awesome, keep doing it. But we have to hear God's voice. We need to know what God says about us. We need to value what, it's, what he says more than what other people says. And this is radical, do you know why? Because it takes time and practice and patience to hear God's voice. Most of us want a quick five-step to hearing God's voice, a nice little book, or if you're very busy like some people, an audio book. It takes time to wait, to pray, to be patient. We're always looking for the shortcut, but we can't shortcut hearing God's voice for our lives. 
It's radical because we too often believe what other people say about us. All the lies that the devil is whispering to us. All the thoughts that are bombarding us all day long. We too often believe those than what God says about us. And God's voice, friends, must drown out all those other voices. Otherwise, we're going to live for the sake of the other voices and not for God's glory. Our mind has to be renewed so that we can be transformed. So let me ask this question. What are you going to do differently this year to hear God better? What are you going to do this year to hear God more than you did last year? Because what God says about you, what God says about your future, is more important than what any man or woman can say about you. Do you know what happens when we seek God, when we spend time going to Him, when we carve out time from our schedule just to be with Him? Hebrews says, God rewards those who are earnestly seeking Him. Ka-ching! No, no, not that kind of reward. <laughs> we get rewarded with His presence, which you can't buy. You cannot purchase or manufacture the presence of God. Remember what Moses says, Lord, unless you go with us, unless your presence go with us, we don't want to leave this place. Friends, I hope that you treasure and value God's presence more than anything else. But when we seek Him, when we set aside time, we, we encounter Him. We get access to His Holy Spirit. Faith comes from hearing when God speaks, and we're called to live by faith. What are you and I going to do to hear God better? Lastly, last point this morning, how can we live radically in 2023? So we need to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the Pharisees asked John, well, if you're, not the, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, if you're not the Messiah, then who are you? And he gives them an answer. And they said, well, if you're not any of these people, why are you baptizing? Because that's like a special thing that special people should do. Why are you baptizing? You know what John says, and we get a bit more detail in other gospel accounts. He says, I'm baptizing you in water, but there's one among you, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, but he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And John is introducing a different dimension of spirituality. He says, don't worry, the faith that I'm preaching, this is, is like water, right? But someone's coming. There's a new era, a new dispensation, a new testament. Call it what you want. Where God will baptize you with the Spirit. Different level of our faith. You see, John is doing earthly things, but Jesus is going to do heavenly things. John is doing natural things, baptizing them in the water. Jesus is going to baptize us with his Holy Spirit. Supernatural things. And friends, we, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. If we are going to do anything of significance for God, we need to be empowered and filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, all we're going to do is all we can do. Anyone want to get to the end of their life and say, someone say, they did all they could with all their strength. 
Or do we want people to say, look what God did with them? And it's so radical because we're so good at making our own plans and our own backup plans and relying on our own strength and our own wisdom. And we kind of explained it away. Well, you know, God gave us the strength and He gave us this wisdom and that's all right. God wants us to use them. But you look at the life of Jesus and there was the power of God, the divine grace of God, not just for supernatural stuff, but for to be able to forgive people. Man, that's not easy. You can't do that in your own strength. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, some of the uh, Paul and Barnabas went to visit a new area. They'd heard that the gospel had been preached to this new area. And so they went down to this area to, to meet these new believers in Jesus and to get to know them and to strengthen them. The apostles went down to encourage them. And they met the believers and they were excited and they like, high-fiving, you believe in Jesus, this is awesome. What baptism did you get? Paul asks. They're like, John's baptism. What? Well, what is John's baptism? Baptism in water. And so Paul asks, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed, they're like, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Is that still on at the cinemas? We should go watch that movie. Like they had no clue. And so some people believe that the moment you're born again, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that we get the Spirit of God because He's the one who makes us alive when we're born again. But you look in the Bible and it seems like there's other occasions when believers born again get filled with the Spirit, and it enables them to do amazing things, all right? We need that touch from heaven. We often on a Sunday at the end of the meeting will invite people to um, come forward if you would like prayer for anything. And this section at the front here is not more spiritual or more holy, but I want to say that something happens in our hearts if we take a step of faith and walk down to the front. It's humbling, right? <gasps> what do other people think when they see I'm coming down? Do they think I did that thing the preacher said? Don't we think that? Like it's probably not that at all. Something happens when you allow someone to pray for you. You step forward in faith. You join your faith with someone else who's praying for you. God can touch you. I would love for us to have times of ministry, whether it be in the front or anywhere here, where the Spirit of God is falling upon us. Not weird and freaky and scary, but the life of God touching us, changing us, because we need His power, friends. If we're going to live a radical life, it's not going to happen in our own strength. We need Him to touch us. We need His joy, His patience, his perseverance. We need the Spirit of God to convict us when we sin and when we don't say things wrong. We need the, the courage of God to go and apologize and say sorry to someone when we've messed something up. We need the Holy Spirit to help us pray. We need the Holy Spirit to soften the hearts of those who are not yet believers. Friends, we cannot live as an ambassador of heaven without the empowering of heaven. And the way that God says we are to live a divine life that honors God, that is worthy of the calling, is to be filled and empowered 
by the Holy Spirit. So, quick summary. How can we live radically this year? Firstly, be humble and make much of Jesus. Exalt him, lift him up at every opportunity. Worship him, adore him. Number two, be who God's made you to be. Don't apologize for it. Maybe I should say something there, but I'm not. We know that God's still at work in all of us, but get plugged in to the shape of the living stone that God's made you to be. Number three, hear God's voice and make it the most important voice in your life this year. And lastly, allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and to live a life worthy of his calling. Amen? Can we stand? I want to pray for us as we're ending. Wouldn't mind closing your eyes and respond however you might want to respond to God. You might want to raise your hands. Father, this morning we are so aware. We look at someone like John the Baptizer, a man who was radical and on fire for you, and yet he was so humble. He knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't. I pray this year, Lord, give us all a fresh revelation of who you've made us to be. Help us to be content with that. We know we're not perfect, Lord. We know we've got a long way to go. But help us to be content in our identity and who you've made us to be, a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice, to know what you say about us. We want to do that more than anything else, Father. Help us, Lord, to to seek you, to spend time listening and waiting and practicing to hear your voice. Lord, we want to be in your presence more often than last year, both here on a Sunday and for our personal lives. God, help us not to put any boxes or barriers or boundaries on how we can live in your presence. While we're driving on the road, we can encounter you. We can hear your voice. We can be in your presence. While we're taking a walk, whatever it might be, Lord, help us to know your presence this year. And I ask Jesus most earnestly for more of your Holy Spirit this year. God, I know I can't be a better husband without that. I can't be a better father without the Holy Spirit. I can't be a better son, a better employee, a better leader without the work of your spirit, without the empowering of your spirit. Friends, let's just all raise our hands to him this morning. And maybe just in your own words, ask for a fresh touch from heaven. Jesus, this morning we ask. Come right now. Whatever we believe about the Holy Spirit, whether it be good or bad, Whether it be true or false, Lord, we know that if it's of you, then it's good. We want more of it. So I pray, Lord, for a hunger for the presence of God, a desire for the presence.